Welcome to Build and Learn. My name is Colin. And I'm CJ. And today we're joined by Charlie Gerard. Charlie is a senior dev advocate at Stripe, and she's given several mind-blowing talks lately and also written some really, really incredible articles. We're really just excited to hang out. So hi and welcome, Charlie. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Before we jump into it, to set the stage, today is a snow day. And snow days are like the greatest days ever for kids. And so yesterday, uh, it was on the news that maybe there was going to be enough snow for there to be a snow day. And so the kids were coming home and telling me that like every kid in their class was like trying to figure out all the ways that they could influence the universe to create a snow day. And so just like a couple that I thought were really funny. One was to go to bed with your pajamas inside out. (laughs) One was to put cheese in your pocket. There were there were some others, but I don't know if you if you have any uh, tips or tricks for kids who want to create a snow day around them. That uh, sounds like that we found out who the troll the trolls are amongst the kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But someone did something. I don't know if they went to bed with a spoon under their pillow, or they flushed an ice cube down the toilet, or they like what what magical thing they did to make it happen, but. We went to bed last night and it was raining and we woke up and there was like six, seven inches of snow and school was canceled. It's nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was good. Charlie, tell us, tell us how you would introduce yourself. Tell us more about yourself and then we'll get into some. Sure. Well, I mean, as you said, I'm a senior dev advocate at Stripe. I am an author of a book about machine learning in JavaScript. And if I had to pick another kind of job title, uh, I would pick a creative technologist because it's more of how I approach my work in general. So I like to try to push the boundaries of even what I know or what I think is, is possible with technology. And as I work mostly in JavaScript, I usually try to push the boundaries of what can be done on the web. Uh, that's usually my angle because I already know JavaScript. So I can like work in that space more often, but um, yeah, usually that's how I would describe myself. And outside of tech, I love to travel solo. I can travel with friends as well, but solo is is better. <laughs> I mean, in my opinion, it's uh, I really like it. But yeah, otherwise, I love reading and and tinkering and building things. So that's kind of how I would describe myself. <laughs> The uh, traveling solo thing that you mentioned there is something I'm newer to. I actually just went on a trip to Portugal earlier this year, and there were some circumstances that made it so that it was a solo trip eventually. <laughs> and it was actually really fun to just be able to get, you know, go do the things I wanted to do and not have to like corral people and all of that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, looking at your website, you've done quite a few like really cool projects that are very like human computer interaction related, just kind of having fun with technology, sensors, the web, airplanes. Walk us through how you come up with project ideas and like if you have a process for that. I think over the years, I kind of came up with my own process, but I never really do anything completely from scratch or anything completely original. I usually either build up on something that I have built before and I add either a new sensor or I try a different technology or I try a different kind of interaction or I take inspiration from 
either uh, something that I read or something that I came across on Twitter or or a series I'm watching on Netflix or, or anything. So in terms of process, I think it's kind of the same way that I did it when I started, where I was coming across a repository. Like I, I learned to code in a bootcamp. And I, when I finished that bootcamp and I was looking for a job, I still wanted to keep coding to make sure that I was still learning. Uh, but I wanted to do something that I found exciting. So I started to come across programming for hardware in JavaScript, so controlling little robots. And I was coming across different repositories that I was trying, and then I was adding my own little twist to it. So I didn't start completely from scratch. I don't think I, I mean, I don't know how I would have done it completely from scratch, but usually I kind of look through GitHub and see, is there something that's interesting to me? And then I try to change one aspect of it. So... Uh, even the the time that I built a project to play like an air street fighter with like real movement in the air with a machine learning model, I actually was inspired by another project that was a bit similar, but it was using the the webcam to check your to check your movement. And I was okay, that's really cool. But in the like when you're working in front of the webcam, you're restricted to a little space, right? You you have to do it in front of your computer. And if you if the lighting is wrong, then it's not going to recognize your gesture properly. So I was thinking in terms of interaction, I would like to be able to play like anywhere in a room. And that's why I kind of removed the webcam part. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it with real movement with a sensor. So I could be anywhere in a room and it doesn't matter if it's at night and I can have multiplayers and stuff. So um, that's usually my process. Like I start with like a starting point or I have a question, like, is that even possible? And then, uh, and then I tinker it. And once I just answer my question, like, yes, it's possible or not, then I stop and I move on to another one. Because I never really polish what I do, because then that would be never ending. And I always have other ideas I want to work on. So I always try to like frame it with like a constraint that could be like a language constraint. And then something I want to add that's different. And then an end point that's like, when I've answered my question, is it possible? Then I need to stop and I need to move on. <laughs> So that's kind of how um, like I work also because yeah, my time is limited. So I have to make sure that it fits in wherever I can on my schedule. The other sensors that you added that were not webcams, like what kind of sensors are they? So it was, um, it was a gyroscope and accelerometer. So uh, because with the accelerometer, you can detect how fast you're moving. And with the gyroscope, you have an indication of uh, X, Y, and Z coordinates for angles. So in terms of uh, recording data for movements, that's two sensors that are pretty great for that because you end up with uh, six points of data, so X, Y, Z for accelerometer and gyroscope. And when you uh, record that data uh, as you're doing like a punch in the air or something, that's enough data to then train uh, a machine learning model to recognize the difference between uh, punching or doing like some kind of like uppercut movement. I I'm not really familiar with the actual terms that you have to use, but you know... Um, and then, yeah, you can, like, I remember spending a few Sundays where I was just alone at home, like, punch, punch, like, <laughs> so, and in the end, yeah, I did it a few times and I used that data to uh, train a machine learning model and then um, using WebSocket to kind of stream the gesture to the browser and, and then, like, play a little game. So it was a prototype. I didn't really go further with that because, again, my question was, you know, is it possible? And then when it's possible, I just, I moved on. But that was an interesting one because there's a lot of different ways to use a gyroscope and accelerometer. So the first time I used a device that I don't think they sell it anymore, but Google used to 
sell the Daydream headset that was uh, an upgrade from the cardboard VR. And they had a little controller and I used that. But then I, I also built my own custom one with an Arduino and an actual sensor. And then I also built a version that uses your phone because your phone has an accelerometer and gyroscope and there's a web API. So I could remove the whole Node.js part that was streaming the thing to the browser because I was like, well, now there's the generic sensor API in the browser and you can stream the data directly like uh, in front end JavaScript. So it was an interesting way also to add on that onto that project and be able to experiment with a web API I had never worked with before. And that was kind of like my excuse to try it. So, and then I ran out of ideas, so I stopped. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah, I, I've been to a few hardware hackathons where depending on what people are working on, you're right, you have like people over here punching the air and like recording <laughs> their movements. And someone over here is like trying to make a fish tank that drives around on an RC car and <laughs> yeah. you know, stuff like that. So uh, what you mentioned, I think is really kind of good for people to just kind of take from like building and learning things. Name of the show, right? Is that like, I like that you don't worry about how can I make this perfect before you even start. And I think looking at your project page on your website, you see a, you started a lot of things and you have used a lot of sensors and you played with a lot of stuff where I think a lot of people don't even start because they're afraid that they aren't going to be able to make it perfect or polished and all of that. And I think that's a disservice because there's a lot of really fun things that you can play with that you don't really need permission to go play with those APIs, to play with those hardware sensors, things like that. I know there've been a lot of like different Kickstarters and you know, hardware is hard. So I think tapping into things like your iPhone sensors and things like that is also great because Apple has spent a lot of time and money on making those sensors really good. But you could also go deeper and build your own Arduino sensors as well, which can be fun too. Is there a sensor that's like your favorite if you had to pick one? Oh, they kind of all do different things. So, I mean, if I build something custom, I usually start with Arduino as my microcontroller. And then, well, the sensors, it depends what I would build. But if we then um, talk about more like brain sensors, I do have a favorite. I've tried a few. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's like, it depends what I'm building. But if I, yeah, if I do custom, I go with Arduino as my microcontroller. And then uh, if I do other things, like in terms of brain sensor, my favorite would be the Notion from uh, Neurocity. But uh, I don't build everything custom because there's things I couldn't. I mean, I could build my own brain sensor. I actually have a kit that I never used. <laughs> but <laughs> but there are some things that I would, uh, I'm fine with just buying off the shelf and, um, and try to hack with that as well. It seems like the most intimidating thing to me would be like, uh, I bought the sensor. I got. It, I get it from Amazon or whatever. You know, some t thing package arrives in the mail. Like number one, how do I plug that into my computer and make it talk? And then number two, how do you actually figure out all of the different protocols? I know, like in the past, I was trying to play with early stuff that was using Bluetooth, and I just remember it being a nightmare. Like, how do you even make these things talk to each other? So I hope that it's gotten infinitely better but yeah i think maybe the chance that i have or the opportunity is that as i use javascript a lot the community is very good at putting their work open source and you can find a ton of projects on github or even now like all the different web apis that you can use in the browser it's i mean every time that i want to build something most of the time i can find a little 
pieces of interesting code in different repositories that sometimes I have to put together to do like exactly what I want. And you can start from something that you find. And then if it doesn't work exactly the way that you want, then you can either move away from JavaScript if, if that's not the right language to do what you want, or you can try to dive deeper and slowly build something more, uh, more custom. But even, even with uh, Bluetooth now, yeah, you do have the Bluetooth API uh, in the browser as well, or there was some Node.js tools, or you can try different languages. But usually I do research before I buy the hardware so that I know, because sometimes you might not even buy the the right device. So sometimes there's more repos that are working with like a different device than, than another one. Usually I do some research before I really like start to get into it. But usually there's like, no matter what, somebody somewhere would have done something. And even if it's not exactly similar to what you want to build, there's ways that you can tweak it. Um, and I think, I mean, at first, at least I was always checking that there was a GitHub repository, uh, like at first before starting to build my own thing. And now as I've kind of learned more over the years, I'm more comfortable sometimes like going away from existing repositories and trying to do something myself, but it's not something I would have done at the beginning. I think it would have been a bit too scary. Like I wouldn't have known how to start, but now I'm a bit more comfortable going a little deeper and avoiding certain abstractions. Um, but yeah, things take time. Like it's yeah. definitely a learning process. <laughs> When you buy these devices, have you ever run into weird challenges getting them to talk like, oh, this bitstream is coming in big Endian, but I need it in little Endian or like weird, you know, I, I know I can see that there's data, but I don't know like how to make it something I can use. Uh, so one one thing that I can think of is more like the first time that I played with a, a brain sensor. It, the SDK was only available. I think it was in Java and C++. And that was not languages that I that I knew at the time at all. So I think that was like one of the first time that I really hit a wall because it was really not something that I was working with every day. So it was really hard to get it to work. And the repositories that I was trying were out of date. That took me three years to fix. So this is what I mean that, you know, sometimes I come across something that's a bit too hard and I put it on pause and then I learn more. And then, you know, one day you look at it again and for some reason you have figured it out in like five minutes uh, <laughs> but uh, I think that pushed me to create my own uh, little JavaScript framework for it and and like make it talk to each other between the C++ side and the Node.js side so that was like one thing that took me a, a while but otherwise I think recently as well when I did my project to get data from live airplanes so I used it's called a software-defined radio dongle that you plug into your computer and you get you get raw data. And the thing is, like, when I got that raw data, I was like, okay, cool. I can connect it to the browser and I can get raw data in the browser. But now how do I transform that raw data to actual readable JSON data from an airplane? And this is where I'm really thankful that some people put their work online because I found a repository and it was done in Node.js, but then I could look at the part of the code that was decoding the data and I could look through the code and be like, oh, okay, so you can like transform it to that. And then you could do some research and, and find that there's a certain format for the data that is broadcasted by airplanes. And you can be like, okay, so if the bit values between like zero and five are the number five, then it means that it's a message about the altitude and then you can decode the rest. It took me a few months because it's something I had never done before, but it is definitely like, I start by making sure I can get data. Uh, and then it's uh, it took me a bit of more research to find the um, the format of that data and how do you actually go from raw data to to turning it into something that's more readable 
and it's something I still need to look into because I relied a lot on the existing uh, repositories and it's something I wanted to do now is go back and try to rewrite it on my own because mm. that uh, maybe I don't need most of the part that the other author wrote and maybe I just need, you know, a little bit and I'm actually, there's too much code in what I built and I could make it better. But that's also the part where, you know, it worked, it did what I wanted to do and I moved on to something else. Yeah. Um, so there's, I could always like do something better, but that was an interesting one because I think it was the first time that I actually looked at raw data and be like, what does that mean? Like how do certain communication protocols work? Because they're all different. And I was like, okay, so ADSV data, which is like the protocol for how airplanes communicate. Uh, now I have a better idea of the structure of these messages and what do they mean? And you actually look at uh, the, the bit values at certain positions in the array and it's like, oh, that means that, it's super cool. So yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> that was fun. So cool. So I want to change gears just a little bit from all the HCI stuff and talk a little bit about your experience at ThoughtWorks. ThoughtWorks is a technology company. I think you could maybe give everyone a, a brief introduction to it, but they put out this thing called the ThoughtWorks Radar, which is a collection of technologies that they're and have on their, on their radar to <laughs> learn about or use in products. And they kind of range from things that might be production ready versus upcoming, up and coming or just things to watch. And I'm curious, like what your experience was like working there and also how they build this, because I think it could be, yeah, it's like, it's useful for individuals to keep an eye on what technologies are sort of uh, interesting. So. Yeah, sure. Well, ThoughtWorks is a consultancy. So the good part of, and the reason why I wanted to work there, um, I got that job right after my bootcamp. Uh, and I was interested in working there because I, at the time, you know, when you don't know how, what you want to specialize in. And I was like, I want to be full stack. <laughs> and it was a good job, like a good place to, to be that because as you're a consultant, it means that you work for a different clients and you might be on a project for either like three months or six months or a year. And it can be in a lot of different programming languages. So I think at some point I did some things in Ruby or for, you know, a few weeks you can be thrown into having to do things in Java and you might not know Java, but you have to figure it out on the job. So that was also the, the challenge. But then I think that's what is really helpful in building the radar. I remember being part of putting together one of the edition of, of the tech radar. So we had these meetings at lunchtime where, you know, anybody who was interested was getting into a meeting room and we were putting like sticky notes on the walls about technologies that we had worked with on our different clients. And uh, what did we think that they were in the like trial kind of column or like, you know, forget about it. I forgot the names of the columns. I think there's like trial and uh, assess and, and things like that. And it was really interesting because, well, as we get to all work with different clients from different industries and on different types of projects, we try a lot of different technologies. So even for me, it was nice to have a, a little sneak peek on what, it, what was about to be on the radar before it was released. Because then, for example, me, uh, I could be like, oh, I worked uh, with um, a 3GS, uh, you know, 3D in the browser on that client and it's really cool technology, but I didn't know that, you know, other people were doing things with Kubernetes or like Flask, you know, with Python things. So it was a nice way to have an idea of like what was out there, even though I didn't have the chance to work on it. And uh, it was interesting to just hear from people's um, experiences working at different clients 
and they were sharing the pains that they had with different technologies and why they thought it was it would go in the assets column and not another one. So it was it was really an interesting process. And even though I don't work there now, I still I still read it. Uh, I don't know if they still do it like that now, but I loved that they were including people in the process from junior dev to any kind of like senior or leader uh, engineer. And, and I, I, to me, I love that because it meant that it didn't matter if you had just joined or if it was your first project, whatever technology you thought should be on the radar, then we would discuss it. And not, every, not everything made it through because there were like sometimes hundreds of post-it notes, <laughs> but it was a nice way to be included and a nice discussion that was going around that. So it was like, I remember it and it was a, it was a nice, like a fun little lunchtime meeting. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's fun because I think consultancies, they're not always known for picking up new technologies. I think like yeah. everyone thinks like startups and, you know, Web3 companies and crypto are doing all the new stuff. But like sometimes like I've been in consultancies where they're like, you know, some marketing person's pitched this client on some kiosk in some technology that we've never built before. Yeah. But we have to go figure like they, they signed the the deal. So yeah. we got to go figure out how to build yeah, now this Now you thing. have to figure it out. <laughs> So it's cool. I mean, ThoughtWorks has been around for a really long time. I know a lot of people who have been in the Ruby world for a long time probably know ThoughtWorks. Um, we'll put a link to the the radar in the show notes too, so people can check that out. But it's a it's a cool way to like approach each thing without just being like, I don't want to learn new things anymore. Like I know that it's with especially like in JavaScript, there's like a new thing every day. So mm -hmm. being able to look and see like have a, a measured kind of guide to you know. Is this something we should keep an eye on? Is this something we should be adopting? Maybe this is something that's behind us. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a pretty cool way of looking at all that. Um, when you are looking at some of those new things, like how do you approach learning a new thing if it's something that you've never dealt with before, whether it's like a new JavaScript library or the things that you're doing in machine learning, uh, those kinds of things. Like, is there, do you have a way of picking up new tools? Is it, you know, doing Hello Worlds? Is it, you know, just trying to get to that that first like output of data. Yeah, um, I think it, it might depend on what I'm trying to learn. So if I was trying to learn a brand new language, I would probably do the uh, the Hello World. But if it's still in JavaScript, but a new framework, I don't really do the Hello World because I know that like I need to do something that I'm really excited about. Because again, if I do that on my personal time, it's like limited. And also I think if I, if it feels like it's going to be a chore, I know that I'm not going to do it. I'm going to think right. about all the other things I could do in the meantime. <laughs> so um, usually if I try a new JavaScript framework, I try to find something that I want to build anyway. And then I try to build it with that, with that framework. So if I want to do, I don't know, if I wanted to build a new interactive web experiment and I have never worked with, I don't know, Astro or, or Next.js, then I might still do the interactive part in uh, like in a you know, standard JavaScript or, or TensorFlow.js or anything, but then I'll build the website using, using Next.js or whatever other framework is out there. There's probably a new one just today. I don't know. <laughs> but then, yeah, if it's another language completely, for example, I think uh, last year I tried to learn Rust. And I went more with like a Hello World website because I was like, okay, I don't know Rust at all. And I wanted to try to host like a Rust website on the Jamstack. So that was kind of like my constraint. It was like, okay, it has to be something that can run on Netlify. And so then I was doing some research about, okay, web, like, yeah, the ways to build websites in Rust. And there was different tools. And I didn't try to build 
like an interactive Rust website. It was really just like, oh, here's like hello in a picture. <laughs> but yeah. uh, that was my way of like uh, being introduced um, to Rust. But it's something that then I didn't really keep going with, uh, not because I didn't want to, but there was all the priorities. So yeah, usually I try to be really excited about something that I want to build. And if it seems too hard, then I start really small. When I started with machine learning, I started with the hello world of machine learning, which is recognizing like handwritten numbers uh, with the MNIST data set. So I started with that and then it taught me, uh, okay, so when you build your machine learning model, you need to prepare your data and it needs to, best to have a certain structure. And then you pick different algorithms and then you have like predictions. And from there, I was like, oh, what if I want to move away and use another data set? And then what if I don't want images, but I want gesture? So I kind of like replace little by little until I get to a point where I have a project idea that I want to build with that technology. Super cool. Uh, Richard Marmerstein from Stripe, uh, another person that we work a lot with, uh, published an article yesterday called Take Your Pragmatism for a Unicycle Ride. And it's really yes. funny. And it's it's got this story about how, as a teenager, he spent this summer learning how to ride a unicycle and like a unicycle is like totally not a pragmatic way to get around but he just put like so many miles on it that summer because it was fun and mm. interesting and tough and whatever and so we'll put a link to the article in the show notes but i love this section where he talks about how it doesn't matter if people are sort of like making fun of the tools that you're picking as long as you feel the energy and the excitement mm-hmm. and that's like exactly what you're talking about is like as long That's as you exactly have that, how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. If you're buzzing and you're just like, whoa, this is so freaking cool. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like then you get pumped. And like a lot of the stuff that you work on, I think too, like when you share it, everyone, <laughs> that's like the response from people, right? Like the ultrasonic payments blog post that's out, like blew everyone's mind. And there's uh there's some other stuff that you're working on now that I think is going to be also like equally as fun and exciting so i think it is I like... think, yeah because learning something new can be very challenging and it can make you feel quite stupid like i feel stupid all the time because i always do things i don't know <laughs> so i'm like constantly in this state of almost like beginner and but then when you if, you have, if i know that i'm excited about the end goal then that keeps me going because i know it's possible i just don't know yet how to get there and but that moment like these five seconds of adrenaline rush when it's finally working. It's amazing. I think that's what keeps me going because I know that at the end, when I'll get to the end goal, the excitement is good. Like it's going to be both an excitement to see the thing working, but also to know like, wow, like three weeks ago, I didn't know how to do this. And I learned so much along the way. And maybe it doesn't apply to my job right now, but I'll never know if it applies. And but even if it never applies to something practical, I love that as an engineer, I learned more about so many different aspects along the way. And to me, like I, that's the part of being a developer that, that I love. Uh, I wouldn't do what I do if there was no excitement and fun. Like if you do your work like eight hours a day, like how can you have no fun? Like I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to do that. So, I mean, there's definitely been times where it wasn't fun, but I think if it's like over a long period of time, then I, it's not really worth it for me. I think a lot of people have a hard time coming up with side projects, especially if they're newer to the industry and they're trying to build out their portfolio. And I always try to push people towards like, like if you're into D&D, like build something for D&D. Like don't go find something that you hate 
and try to build something for that because you're not going to have fun. And when it's hard, when it, when you're feeling stupid, like the thing that you love is going to be the thing that pulls you through that. And then yeah. you might even have this fun toy that you get to play with when it when it works, you know, and maybe it's not the thing you set out to build, but it's close. And, you know, what I love about hardware, too, is it's much like APIs. Like you get to do a thing that controls the thing in the physical world with code. Yes. And like that feels like yeah. magic, whether it's a microphone, a webcam, a sensor. And I love the idea Like some of your projects. This one's uh, clapping to, to toggle the dark mode on the Netlify <laughs> website. Right. So like the sensors there, I'm assuming was just a microphone, right? Yeah. I think yeah. the constraint there was that I didn't know if I could run um, TensorFlow.js in a Chrome extension. And then I was thinking, because I knew how to run a website with it and I knew how to do it in Node.js, but I was like, is there any reason why it wouldn't work in a Chrome extension? And then, yeah, I started thinking, well, what could I even do in a Chrome extension? So then, yeah, I thought about dark mode and you just clap and it just and You have on. the clap on, clap <laughs> off, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's an example of like, everyone has a microphone on their computer mm -hmm. already. So you don't have to buy or figure out where the data is coming from. You just have to make sense of the data, right? And so love that you don't have to go out and buy a bunch of accelerometers. I have a drawer of raw sensors, like accelerometers, light sensors, things like that. And it requires you to learn a little bit of electronics and learn how to solder and, and figure out all that kind of stuff. But I've also picked up, I unfortunately, a lot of the companies are dead now, but like brain sensing headbands, arm mm -hmm. motion sensing things. I used to do a lot of hackathons around that. And just the ideas that people come up with, um, we'll definitely link to all of your projects because it's like, it would take the whole show to go through each of these. But just like the idea that, you know, a GitHub bot that detects toxic comments on PRs, I think everyone can agree that's a thing that we all see in the world. And it's just fun way of, can we detect that and then reply automatically? That's that's super fun. But yeah, I think finding something that you love and then pairing it with an idea that, you know, a, a tool that you want to learn is, is a good way to move forward. And I think it's important to like not want to do something too big at first. Um, starting small is just as valuable or even, you know, cloning a repo, trying it out and then seeing if and if you can reproduce it yourself is fine. Because sometimes I've been talking to people and the first idea that they have is like, oh, I want to mix like VR with like motion sensor with like hardware and Arduino. And I, and I was just like, I mean, it sounds really cool, right? But you're never mm -hmm. going to start. Like if it's your yeah. first time and because you're excited or because you want to do something that doesn't exist and you see this massive thing and if you don't know any part of the project that you're going to build you're probably not going to do it because it's going to look like this thing that's going to take a year and even me if I I mean if I come across an idea and I know that it's going to take me a year I'm never going to start because I'm going to be like well if I need a year off I'm not going to do it now and so it's I always try to break down my projects into smaller parts or I try to build something that only has one element of it that I don't know yet um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, then I learned that element and then I can, you know, build another thing that has another element that I don't know. And then I can combine the two. But I know how my brain works. <laughs> and if it looks like it's going to take a while, I know that I'm going to find excuses to do something else. Um, so it's, yeah, finding little tricks, but not being scared to build something that has been done before. I know that sometimes people think, oh, it's already out there, so I'm not going to do it again. But it's not because it's out there that, that you still haven't 
built that knowledge and you haven't built these like neural pathways to go from A to B, like in terms of, of creating a, a solution. So I understand the excitement of wanting to do something that's new and, and that has a lot of different components that you don't know. But also if you want to be realistic, if you actually want to get there, um, you have to go, you know, slowly and be realistic with the time that you have and like have a goal that, you know, if you can not try to polish it, just like make it work. And then later, if you want refactor, to me, the most important is to actually build that knowledge over time. And mm -hmm. otherwise, yeah, maybe people would get there, but uh, from conversations I've had with people, like they just never built the thing that they said they would build. So, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think it's also one of the reasons why I advocate for people to learn programming with games, like start from tic-tac-toe or start from something mm -hmm. like, you know, hangman or something very simple and work your way up and then build chess. And like, once you've mm -hmm. built chess, okay, now like you probably know object-oriented program or like whatever programming language, like, uh, and that seems, yeah, it, it aligns perfectly, right? Because then you, at the end, you get something to play with. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, starting small and building your way up. And a lot of the stuff that you worked on too, like the red light, green light and the punching and like all of this in the physical world is a type of game, right? Like a mm -hmm. lot of them are very game related. They're not like solving any very serious problems, but they're like building prototypes that you could combine and use in production to build a solution to a really serious problem. But you're like building the understanding and the knowledge behind all these different tools. I mean, so. some people, I've seen some people build using the same kind type of technology to build some kind of like a yoga instruction website where mm. it would track the position of your body and it would tell you if you're doing a position properly so you don't hurt yourself. There's some uh, fitness applications that count how you do your squats because it looks at the camera and if you're doing, you can't cheat that. And then when you look at um, real products that are out there, I think there is a mirror that you can exercise in front of and you have, I think it might track your movement and it, might, it probably isn't done in JavaScript, but... Uh, the let's say that the logic uh, is the same it's like if you know how to use a model that tracks different points in your body then it would be about writing that but in a different language but you do if you do want to build something practical later on um it doesn't hurt to start with something that's fun because at least you can make sure that you'll get that knowledge that you'll get the you'll make sure that you you have the motivation to keep going so that you understand how to build the thing and then you can use that knowledge to to then do that thing like uh, I remember once so I when I learned to code it was the beginning of 3D in the browser and I thought it was really cool like yeah in JavaScript because uh, you know I thought that oh it's only game developers who can do this uh, using Unity and that like that's a different thing than what I'm doing now but then when I saw that you could do that in JavaScript it was so it was so cool so I started playing with this and I remember that at the time when I was doing that I mean a lot of people were just like why are you doing this like it's not going to be uh, useful or, you know, nobody's going to hire you for that. And, uh, well, first of all, they were wrong, but I'm getting to this. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it's um, So even though, like, I, I didn't use that knowledge right away, I still, at some point, there was I was at ThoughtWorks and we were working for a startup who had these kind of, like, physical pods where you could scan your body to get measurement and it was some kind of, like, health fitness tracker. And I remember they had an Android app and to see your body scans, you, was, you were uh, kind of like flicking through different screenshots, like PNGs, right? And I worked on that client and I knew that they had Kinect sensors inside the pods. And I knew that you could get raw data from a Kinect in 
3GS to then build an interactive body model. So I was like, well, you know, I mean, just give me, give me a week. And like, actually, no, I did it one night. And then in the morning, I was like, look at what I did. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and I just like, I knew that just give me raw data. Like it's anonymized, right? I didn't have the name of the person or whatever. But I was getting raw data and I was using it in 3GS and nobody else in the team knew how to use 3GS. And, and then I, you know, when I left, I mean, I, I think the, I don't know if the company is still, you know, alive, but uh, that's not my problem. And in the end, they were able to switch from just like a carousel of PNGs to an actual uh, interactive 3D model that you could rotate and zoom in of your own body. And then, you know, from there, there's, there's other things you could do. You could model like, oh, if I was losing, you know, five kilos, how would my body look? Because it's, mm. uh, it's key points from, from, a, from a Kinect, right? So you can just readjust that. And that was the goal, but it means that I could come up with that idea because I knew it was possible. And I only knew it was possible because of side projects that I did. And even when I got my job at the New York Times, I know that it was totally because of the projects that I did on the side that were not commercialized. It was just me showing that I would learn stuff on the side. And it was really interesting for them because it was more of like the creative side of, of the New York Times. So yeah, it's like if you're excited about something and somebody tells you that it's not useful, don't listen. You never know when it's going to be useful. And sometimes you might be the only person who can come up with an idea because you happen to have tried something that other people haven't tried. And you can help a, a startup have like a like an innovative part in their product that maybe will help them get more money in the in the long run because they happen to have that and no other, other company has it. It's just to say that sometimes even if something doesn't seem practical at first, uh, you still build that knowledge and you build that kind of creative mindset that can come up with ideas that wouldn't really cross your mind if you're not training yourself to see things from a different uh, angle. So to me, I totally see the benefit of it. I know that there's still people who sometimes, you know, are like, why do you do this? And you can't sell it. It's like, mm. I don't want to sell it. I don't want to sell <laughs> <Yeah>. my personal <laughs> time. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, this is your yeah, fun time. So, I want people to just be excited about what they build and one day it might be helpful, even if it doesn't seem like it might be right now. Yeah, I, I imagine a lot of this stuff would also be pretty relevant in like AR and VR as well. And like, you know, I think Meta just announced that like you finally get legs in VR. Yeah. It's like, okay, if we're, if we're only at legs, we still have a long way to go before we know what we're actually doing in, in virtual space. But um, I love like, your approach to pulling back the curtain a little bit and learning like why things work. This is kind of off script a little bit, but I think like watching all the stuff with chat GPT that's happening, I think a lot of people are looking at that as like magic where you put inputs in and you get outputs out. And I don't know that a lot of people are going under the hood of what it takes to build those models to do it themselves. They're hoping mm -hmm. chat GPT is just going to do it for themselves. What do you think of, I guess, the whole AI space uh, in terms of like, how we can program it, how we can use it in our day-to-day. -day. I know this is a question we didn't really prep you for, but just curious what your take okay. is on that. Um, so I haven't used personally chat GPT yet because so many people are sharing things that I feel like I have an idea already. I don't have to <laughs> yeah. try it. I might try it later to see really what it can do. But I think having built machine learning models before, uh, I know that like... I mean, I see maybe less of the magical side because sometimes people talk about it as if it was something, yeah, something magical that's like superior to like human beings. And I'm like, it could not exist if human beings had not creating the content that it is trained with. 
And right. recently I, I started thinking, well, if all the content that we create is generated by ChatGPT, whenever ChatGPT is going to be retrained, it's going to be retrained with its own content. And at, at some point, there's going, like my question is, is uh, if we stop writing original things that actually we come up with, are we, is it just, are we just going to like stagnate? Is it just going to be the same words being like spit out again and again? So that's like an interesting thing. I think there's definitely applications of chat GPT that could be really useful if you're really starting to do, uh, to learn something from scratch and you have very more like, uh, if you want complicated concepts to be explained in a, in a easier way, I can see the benefit of that. But then the issue is when it spits out a wrong answer, how do you know if you're a beginner in, in a topic? So there's, I, yeah, there's some, I have some concerns around spreading information that's actually not correct and that you wouldn't know because if you're asking questions because you don't know the answer, right? <laughs> so there's a bit of, of that and also the fact that if it ends up being monetized, it was actually trained on free content that everybody put out there and I'm not quite comfortable with the fact that you would monetize a product that uh, used every, uh, everybody else's work. And so I, I'm hoping that people will use it as a tool to maybe help or, or augment their capacity or capabilities, but without completely replacing the creativity that comes with your own experience, your own way of seeing things. I wouldn't want people to just ask ChatGPT for ideas and not even try to push them further. Because then I think it would be a bit sad. I think to me, what I like when I create things is to look at my environment and being inspired from a random conversation that I have, or uh, there was, I don't know, a random documentary on Netflix about spycraft. And I was like, oh, now I want to make spy tools. <laughs> I mean, it's like that kind of that kind of inspiration that you randomly get. Like, I don't want to be told what to do by an AI. But again, I haven't tried it, so I'm not quite sure. But recently when I was, like I was watching a, a video of somebody who was trying to use ChatGPT to build Arduino things. And I was a bit sad that the person was excited. But it, the content that was, that was generated by ChatGPT was something that was kind of already in the docs, like really easily. It was like a Blink sketch. And Blink is like the hello world of Arduino. And right. that person was like, oh, ChatGPT is awesome. And I was thinking, well, the Blink sketch and documentation is already on the site. And like, you don't go and tell the doc writer that they're awesome for having written that content. So mm. I hope that people don't forget that um, that the reason why ChatGPT is so awesome is because like everybody who shares their knowledge on, uh, online is already awesome and nobody tells them. <laughs> so it's, yeah, I'm a bit conflicted. I, I want to see where it goes and I hope that it's going to be yeah, used as a, as a tool to like augment or, or help, but not completely replace. I, I wouldn't want people to start selling products that are completely written by ChatGPT because then I feel like it's a bit disingenuous. Like, it feels wrong to me. <laughs> Taking all the fun out of it, right? I mean, I think there was, there was one concern. I'll just throw D&D out there again, but there was this concern that the creators of D&D wanted to replace human DMs, dungeon masters with AI dungeon masters. And I was like, I think everyone's forgetting why we play this game, which is a game. It's not meant to be work. It's not meant to be automated. Like, I play it to get away from computers. Like, I like to play it on paper with a pencil, like, with my friends. So, you know, I think you've got a lot there that's right where it's like there are awesome creators creating content. Maybe something to take away from here is 
if you really enjoy something, go tell the author, go tell the creator like that it's awesome so that um, that we don't have to give everything up to our AI overlords too <laughs> soon. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And it's like, it's a good way to network too. Uh, if you see something that you like and just like shouting out that person, you might get an intro or chance to talk with them and build your own network. So it's just nice as well. Like I, I don't get DMS often, but you know, sometimes I get somebody telling me that, Oh, I love your, the stuff that you do. And it feels very nice because like, you know, sometimes I'm having bad days too. And then I get a random DM and it just reminds me like, Oh, it's not completely useless what I do. Or even if like, I don't do it for other people, I do it for me, but it's nice that some people might be inspired or might be excited to try a technology. Because a lot of the times when I, when I do something, I do it for me, but then I also teach it because I want people to know and I want people to feel like they can also try machine learning. Like it's not as difficult as you think it, it, it is. And when somebody shows me that they, you know, they, they sent me a project they built because they read something I wrote. And to me, it feels good because it feels like, okay, I, I did something right. Like I put my knowledge out there and it helps somebody learn about something or be excited about something or build something. And yeah, it doesn't happen often. I think people are a lot quicker to be mean and judge than they are to actually give positive feedback, unfortunately. But yeah, I, I wish that we would recognize when we praise ChatGPT, I wish that we would recognize that it's only as good as the content we gave it. Absolutely. I think that's a good spot to end it. Where can people find more about you and all of the different projects that you've been working on? Um, so I've been a lot less active on, on Twitter for a while now, but I'm still there. So I'm uh, at DevDevCharlie on Twitter. Uh, on Mastodon, I'm on the um, Hackyderm server. And otherwise, my website is charliedraw.dev. And I usually, every time that I build something that I'm proud enough to share, (laughs) I put it on there. (laughs) Uh, Otherwise, I'm on GitHub, charliedraw.dev as well. Amazing. Yeah. Thanks for joining us this week. And thanks to everyone for listening to Build and Learn. Yeah. Thanks a ton. Really appreciate your time and attention. Thanks again, Charlie, for joining us. Appreciate it. We'll see you next time. Bye, friends. (laughs) 